Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are going to have a, not an abbreviated episode of the podcast, we're probably going to go a, a little, you know, a little more compressed than normal because we have this impeachment trial going on. And we right now are starting to record uh, about half hour, 45 minutes before the second day of the trial gets started. And obviously, uh, we all have uh, day jobs here covering news like this. <laughs> and so, night jobs lately. Yeah, and, and night jobs. It was, how, how like till midnight? I left, left the office at 2 a.m. last oh night. That's God. when things like, that's when it was kind of officially adjourned and the rules, re- resolution McConnell's proposal for how the trial is going to go passed um, then. And then Roberts kind of swiftly was like, all right. That's all. See, I'm embarrassed now because, like, at like at like midnight, I'm like, okay, I figure this must be done. (laughs) Not not quite, but yeah, yeah, the final amendments. We can talk about this a little more, but um, just kind of went quicker as the night wore on, and people got a little bit more fatigued. And was that? But that wasn't by agreement. That just kind of no. It's just in practice because each side had two hours, or you know, there was two hours total to debate all of these amendments, of which there were eleven total. Right. Um, and towards the end, each side just kind of reserved the remainder didn't of their use time. up their time yeah. basically like yep. that it's interesting those those kind of things always remind me of when i was a little kid uh you know prize fighting was a sort of a bigger deal in the culture still and uh the big heavyweights you know ali and fraser and all these guys and the big you know 15 round fights which I don't, i'm not even sure they do that anymore but the big thing was always, you know, 13, 14th round, they're hanging on each other. Right. They're tired, Super right? tired, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like both, both sides Definitely. are kind of worn out and and sort of tacitly agreeing, like, okay, let's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just a little yeah. longer, yeah. Yeah, just let's, let's All right. get through this. Well, let's get into that. But first, uh, let's right. take care of a little business. Quick, quick note from our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop? Of course. Of course we do. Everybody does. Why wouldn't you? Coffee shops generally are terrible, right? We, <laughs> expensive too, yeah. Expensive, like why, 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 and why? crowded in this city. Crowded, yeah, no, totally, <laughs> That's totally, true. totally. Like an empty seat at a New York City coffee shop is a like a rare Oh, you have to get of... up at like eight on the weekends. <laughs> well, and that's also the thing because- You know, you that's know, my style though, actually. Well, in, 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 mo- quality. in most cases, that is kind of, it's sort of breaking down the social contract because if you buy a coffee at Starbucks, it you're, you're actually, that's rent. Yeah. You're renting a seat. And if you if you buy the coffee at a Starbucks or someplace else and you don't get a seat, it's sort of like like you should be able to go back and say, like, dude, I want half my money back. <laughs> like I have no seat. Right? Anyway. Yes. All right. So we agree that uh, coffee shops are terrible. Uh, but Grady's Cold Brew agrees. Coffee shops are totally terrible. You asked and they delivered. Brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans-style coarse ground coffee blend. Designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker, one bag makes 24 servings of Grady's cold brew exactly the way you want. Hot 
Marigold. Order online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a resealable pouch for long-lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM or Grady'sOnAmazon.com for next day delivery. All right. All right. So let me try to sum up a little bit of what happened yesterday for our listeners who weren't glued to the screens as much as we were. I'll, I'll do my, try to do my best here, my bleary-eyed day after uh, kind of condition. But the trial, basically, the Senate trial started in earnest on Tuesday. This is the day after the Martin Luther King Day holiday. Uh, the action kind of gets started around 1 p.m. in the afternoon. That's Eastern Eastern time. Uh, yesterday, the big debate was over the rules of the trial. So late Monday's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell released a resolution kind of laying out, here's how things are going to go. And we've sort of known going into this that each side, the House Democratic impeachment managers and the president's uh, legal team, which includes the White House counsel and Jay Sekulow, which is his kind of like TV lawyer, uh, would each have about 24 hours to make their case. And I think in the Clinton impeachment trial, it was spread over several days, you know, it's maybe eight hour days, something like that. Originally, McConnell had proposed that each side would have two days to to present their arguments, 24 hours over two days. So do the math, starts at 1, at 1 p.m., that goes until 1 a.m. Uh, for, yeah, four days total, I guess, two on each side. Um Almost intentionally making it impossible. Exactly. Yeah. You know, no one's watching at 1 a.m. except for those of us who kind of get paid to right. to be here. Um, and so along the way, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer presented a bunch of amendments to try to force votes on witnesses, documents. That's obviously been the key kind of conflict in the whole thing. So, you know, Democrats want to hear from people like former National Security Advisor John Bolton and... Uh, the White House acting chief of staff and the OMB director, Mick Mulvaney, different people who were involved in the Ukraine pe- pressure campaign. So it was one amendment after another. Each of them, one was to subpoena documents from the White House. One was from the State Department, one the Defense Department, one uh, Bolton, and then a few other kind of procedural things. So that took up the bulk of the action yesterday uh, after the 11th Amendment failed. So the Senate voted on a motion to table, which essentially means we're going to kill this amendment and and move on. Um, and then finally, around, like I said, around 2 a.m., the Senate voted on the on McConnell's rules package, which had been tweaked a little bit on Tuesday, I guess. He, McConnell decided to like split... Just before it got mm-hmm. started. Just before it yeah. got started, decided to split those 24 hours of opening arguments over three days. So that makes it, you know, more like an eight-hour Like a shift. long day, but a reasonable... Exactly. Yeah. More towards, like, maybe 9 p.m., which, you know, is primetime, decent audience of people who would be interested in watching that. And obviously, uh, you know, Adam Schiff, one of the House impeachment managers from California, made the case that even though it was very late on the East Coast... You know, there was a lot of people in California watching, too, uh, people who are a few hours behind. So I think that gets us mostly to where we are today. Um, the the opening statements start today, then, around 1 p.m., so that's kind of going to take us through the rest of the week into the weekend. Someone someone mentioned this to me, and I it, it sounded right to me. I wasn't sure if it was actually the case that the House managers, the Democrats in this case, um, seem to have gone into the day assuming those McConnell rules were going to be in effect. So they basically said like, all right, this is this is our opening statement. They started kind of making their case yeah. uh, in advance. And 
I, I like. I think that's why that kind of made sense of what they were talking about because they weren't really even talking procedure. They were kind of doing both, but they were basically making their substantive case. And that seemed to throw the president's lawyers a little off balance. Or yeah, because they had to respond them. to kind of substantive right, arguments exactly. as and opposed they kind to of just, yeah, what's ready the kind to. of plan? Yeah. That was a sort of a funny thing in my mind throughout, especially at the beginning, though, of the day, that the the uh, uh, house managers, especially Adam Schiff, making very detailed, granular arguments. Um, not ones that to me at least seemed like kind of like, you know, over legalese, but very, you know, very granular, very specific. And the president's lawyers sort of responding, you know, witch hunt and and secret basement and, yeah, bunker, and, the secret yeah, bunker. Yeah, yeah, and and it wasn't it wasn't totally clear there to me whether they were not totally prepared for what the other side was saying, or whether that's kind of going to be their shtick that they're not. I mean, they don't have much of a case to argue, and they were just kind of responding with insults, and so it wasn't clear to me whether that was sort of a product of kind of being caught off guard, or if that's. If that's their strategy, because it's it's very Trumpy, and that's kind of what Trump would do. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, the alternate reality trial thing, I think, is something that we could very easily see where both sides are kind of not even addressing the same thing. Because I mean, what you're saying is true. They, we've seen the Republicans even during the, um, you know, the House section, instead of kind of addressing the substantive arguments, just being like. Democrats have hated Trump since the beginning and, you know, Nunes is like many conspiracy theory holes. I mean, right. and there's a reason they're diving down those rabbit holes is because right. substantively we know there's proof, you know, so it's just, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, it did it. The uh, the tenor of it did seem a little different to me. Maybe it's because there's not that sort of five minutes, five minutes, five mm-hmm. minutes that you really have each side just, you know, really getting, uh, it, whether it's an hour or a half hour, a pretty substantial period of time. And at least my, like, there's basically no interruptions. I mean, there wasn't, that that just didn't happen. And so that, it, it felt worse for the Republicans mm-hmm. than it did on the other side. Because even though it was maybe annoying to someone like me, and probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, if you step back, you still get this sense of like, wow, they're just... You know, they're yelling about everything and they keep jumping in and and I kind of can see that unless you're really deep into this, it just sounds like a lot of people yelling at each other. And that and so they're kind of accomplishing their aim. Whereas um, y- yesterday, you know, if you just listen to what the Democrats are saying, you're like, wow. It sounds like you guys on the other side are really full of shit, mm-hmm. and all this, you know, all this stuff about witnesses and stuff, and and with uh, uh, Cipollone and uh, Jay Sekulow, it's again, it's 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 almost like you know, they're Trump's dog, so they they're starting to look like Trump, right? <laughs> they're act, you know, act like Trump, that because you have like Sekulow, he's like mad, like really outraged, like. How dare you impeach the president? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're sort of like, like what are you talking about? You know, is, is it very... <sighs> it reminds me of one of the, you know, this happened very late in the evening, but kind of the most interesting moment of the whole thing was maybe around 1 or 1.30, uh, House Judiciary 
chairman Jerry Nadler gave oh, his first thing? kind of his yeah. first presentation of the evening. Um, not a, not a very auspicious time, I guess, if you want to <laughs> make a big splash. But nevertheless, uh, that was on, I guess, yeah, probably the last amendment. Um, I think it was maybe or a one little of them. earlier than yeah, that. Yeah, or one of them. Yeah. Yeah, he came out with this very fiery speech. Yeah, they lie, lie, lie. He kind of said all this stuff. It's a treacherous vote to uh, to deny witnesses. And then, I don't know if it was Sekolo or Cipollone or, or a combination got up and they were, you know, aghast at the, you know, lack of decorum or the kind of, you know, aggressive takes uh, insults against them. And Chief Justice Roberts had to kind of in a very mild-mannered way, sort of say, I have to admonish both sides. Remember, you're you're presenting to the greatest deliberative body in the world and blah, blah, blah. But um, it was a moment where Robert stepped in as, I guess, the sort of neutral arbiter, right, to um, remind everyone to keep their cool a little Just, bit. Oh, yeah. sure, I mean, for God's sakes, I'm sorry, but we're going to sit there and, like, lecture Nadler for saying they're lying they are you know that was so infuriating to me i was like oh that was when you're gonna descend down from your dais to be like (laughs) hey let's be nice it's the senate well you know it's it is funny because a number of people pointed out that if if this were an actual trial you'd get in a lot lawyers would get in a lot of trouble if again obviously lawyers you're zealously representing your client you're going to make a lot of maybe tendentious arguments Mm -hmm. but these were concrete, clearly false statements and not false statements were like, oh, I didn't know. And and that was a, that is something that, uh, you know, Robert could have done something there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have, um, you know, would have been like, was it within the sort of the procedure or rules for shift to say like, you know, kind of point of order or something that was, that was pretty striking. And it wasn't like no one noticed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely got a lot of sort of, you know, kind of commentator chatter attention and stuff like that. It was, um, yeah, I, I was, I, I'm frequently surprised in the Trump era. I'm frequently surprised by things or at least mildly surprised by things that when I think about it, I'm like, why am I surprised? Like, why, why am I surprised that that was, you know, that that was how they approached it? Because again, the 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 Cipollone stuff was a a number of things just weren't true. But again, kind of like stuff I hear from like trolls on Twitter, mm-hmm. and and um, I guess I had heard like, oh, Cipollone, you, you may not like him, but sharp guy. And watching him was like, oh, man. Doesn't seem like a sharp yeah. guy. Right. I mean, it's funny. Obviously, these uh, proceedings are televised. The, the cable networks don't control the cameras. It's the Senate operates the the stream. So it's not like you get a sort of intimate view, but you do get to see this whole thing play out. And obviously, you know, they're playing to the cameras and yeah. for Trump just as much as anything. How much did we? How much did either of you watch Fox yesterday to get a general sense of what the sort of what so the response I, was in Fox. World. You know, in the office we have obviously yeah. the row of televisions. Um, we were listening to basically just the deliberations on the on the Senate floor. Fox during prime time, I think starting with I guess uh, is it Tucker at eight? Yeah, Tucker at eight, Hannity, and then Hannity at nine. At nine. They basically at had kind of like a picture in picture view of the trial and they were just kind of doing their thing otherwise. Um, you know, Jeff Sessions was on as like a guest to kind of like weigh in. And interestingly enough, I saw you retweet this, Josh, but Marsha Blackburn, senator from Tennessee, actually like ducked out of the trial to go on 
Laura Ingram's show, or I don't know exactly what one it was, but it's like. But on think, Fox, yeah, yeah I don't do think you're supposed to do yeah, that while not. the arguments yeah. are being. I mean, we also delivered. had Kellyanne Conway giving us her. Um, True, she was her on. excellent commentary that it was a bad day for Democrats. Exactly. So, uh, right. Right. Yeah. That was like that was like to um, Brett Baer, kind of the more mainstream anchors, a little yeah. bit earlier in the night. But so yeah. okay, here. But here's the other kind of operative question that that I had. I mean. On that, you know, to to your point, Kate, about, you know, who was it a good day, bad day? Mm. I mean, the, the real issue here, I think, is, you know, whether basically whether there's going to be witnesses, whether because as, as I understand this is what it seemed to be is McConnell was 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 basically able to make the argument to whatever sort of fence sitters there are in, in his caucus, like, look, you're gonna get a, ch- you're going to get an open chance to vote on witnesses, not now, but like, everybody's got to, you know, we have to, we, we we have a plan, and this is our plan, and that plan is, right now, you have to vote against all these amendments. Now, it's still kind of an open question. Are you know, are you had a. Uh, Susan Collins putting out this this statement in the middle of the day saying she's like likely to vote for mm-hmm. witnesses l- later on. <laughs> yeah. But it does seem like they at least McConnell's angle here, maybe the White House's angle is you're going to get that down to one vote. Right. So kind of like it may hurt. But you just got to, you know, sort of like getting a shot. Right. It's not going to be fun, but it's just one vote. Not going to have to vote it down 25 times right. or something like that. And I guess and that was the um, sorry to interrupt. Kate, I guess that was the. Um, strategy by Schumer, right, is that you have all these a series of votes over and over and over again, Republicans saying, nope, we don't want to hear from this person, we don't want to have documents, and that's, mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of, that's why it happened last night. Well, and if we were looking for any kind of hints of, you know, Republican defections, all the amendments were party-line votes, except for the one where Collins voted with the Democrats about what, adding an extra day of motion, right. is that what it was, essentially? Like a procedural thing. Right, yeah. so not, I mean, not a huge thing and i think romney had also already said and so and she had said as well that they're not voting for witnesses before the questioning period so before the time that mcconnell had sanctioned to be the witness which is after opening statements sometime next week basically yeah exactly yeah i i that that part i don't i don't have a set well here's the other here's another question i had which was it was totally clear to me why schumer you know, made them vote, say, three times or four times. wasn't totally clear to me what the what the logic of between sort of like four and 11. Now, to me, I was sort of pumped to see it because McConnell's like, hey, can we just agree to kind of <laughs> shut this down? Yeah. And Schumer's like, nope, yeah. not happening. And to me, great, yeah. great, great, great. Don't, you know, you know, kind of maintaining it. But it wasn't totally clear what the sort of the strategic logic is. I what I was wondering was if they were thinking like look we don't know you know we don't know when uh, you know Mick Mulvaney is going to be indicted for you know Grand Theft Auto and then sort of like you know pulls a Michael Cohen and is telling us and stuff <laughs> and so then the Mulvaney vote's going to be really handy and we right. don't you know and we're kind of hostages to fortune so let's kind of anticipate every conceivable you know news development and have a vote to be able to hang over these guys necks you know if that happens that kind of makes a certain amount of sense to me you have That's you know my kind of have well. you know 
every contingency. Right. We, have, we have a vote for that. And now they've got a talking point for that, for, you know, any time if Bolton says something else that comes out in the news. I mean, they're prepared. And then in the meantime, they can just say, we gave them 11 opportunities and they said no to right. all of them. I think it's also, yeah, to inflict a little bit of pain on the senators who are forced to sit there with... No electronic devices, although I guess some of them are sneaking in their Apple Watches on their <laughs> right, wrists. Right. Apparently, you can only drink water or milk, right? There's like that no, one is bizarre. No, so that weird. one is really... The other things I get, like a lot of those yeah. things make sense, but it's almost... No coffee. I mean, get some Grady's up in there at least. <laughs> well, it's almost like I would get if it were water, but like, how, where'd milk come yeah. in? Is that yeah. like a milk lobby Yeah, thing? sponsored that's, by... That's like strange. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like we said... There were two hours for each amendment that were available to each side. Um, I think it's just making the senators sit there and listen to the case and hear the evidence kind of. And, you know, we can argue whether that does turn off some of the maybe uh, vulnerable senators to be like, oh, I'm here in the, you know, I'm stuck here until 2 a.m. just kind of like sitting, sitting around. But, um, you know, it just draws it out. And the longer it draws out, I don't know, the more that's out there, the more... I don't know, Chris, there is... Well, I think it's, it's certainly good that each of those amendments gave an opportunity, like, why do we want to hear from John Bolton? Ah, oh, let me tell you why yeah. we want to hear from... So that's, that is good. And again, for me, and maybe it just shows my sort of like, you know... The, the confrontational uh, the you know kind of personality I've developed. The fact that McConnell wanted it to stop was like good enough reason for me, right? <laughs> sure. um, but it is, like I saw some people saying, well, this is going to like offend those moderates. Like they're not going to be, you know, they're going to kind of dig in. That's not how it works. Or, they, or at least I don't think you can look at it that way. This isn't about making friends. They are, it is truly the case, they are on trial. We know what Trump did. And really this whole thing about getting witnesses, you know, the one point that Republicans have, which is, has a kind of a glimmer of logic to it, is like, hey, if it's so open and shut, why do you need all these witnesses? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality is, you know what? It is open and shut. We really don't need to hear what John Bolton has to say. But- it's worth it. To, you don't want to hear what he has to say because your goal here is to cover this up and pretend nothing happened. And we want to kind of make you say, yep, no witnesses, no anything. Let's just make it go away. So there, there, it, there's this weird kind of kabuki uh, or, or, or kind of shadow dancing around the reality because, look, it is true. We have more, we don't need more evidence. We know exactly what happened. And, and this is kind of like, you know, putting you through your paces to absorb what you were doing, which is covering this whole thing up. Right. And, and we all know it was wrong. And we want to kind of make you own that. Yeah. I also think that to some degree, the whole like, does the, you know, the really lengthy amendment process, does it help? Does it hurt? Does it turn people off? Does it not? Like, something that struck me is honestly how boring this process is because there is something about the not having the five minutes five minutes like you're asking for an awful lot of attention span especially that if you follow this stuff at all it's the same stuff over and over and over you know with like slightly different facets to so to some degree i just like can't see your everyday person doing more than you know reading like a, a biggest moments of the impeachment day or watching a highlight reel or something yeah. you know and this is maybe sort of a cynical take but um you know even with the house democratic impeachment managers who are kind of rising stars within the party obviously adam schiff is well known nadler is well known hakeem jeffries uh my u.s rep uh from brooklyn is 
you know, the chairman of the Democratic caucus, right? He's well known. But there's a number of others whose names, unfortunately, escape my mind just at, at the ready, but who are giving these like extended speeches on TV. And that's, I don't know, that's good for their profile too, in a way, right? I Does mean, it anybody gives... understand, like everybody up there, with one exception, made sense to me by some logic. You know, you need, every, you know, need someone from this committee. Okay. You want it to be diverse. Yeah. You want it to have, you know, some people are experts on one thing or another. What, what's the deal with the Jason Crow guy? I didn't even, I'd never even heard of that guy. Yeah. And I'm like fairly up on politics. Well, he's right? like, he's, he's a, freshman. He's, he's, yeah. he's new, but I, and but, he's and, a veteran, right? So yeah. he was talking kind of about the military that, angle Okay, maybe, bit. okay. So that, that, and, that makes sense. And he seemed sense. like a, an effective and he was speaker, fine. This yeah. isn't a criticism of him. I, it was more kind of like you know, there's a lot of demand to to get in on sure. that, right? And I just yeah, wasn't he's a, clear. A white man from what <laughs> Michigan or something? Uh, no, it's uh, Colorado, I oh, think. Okay. Um, yeah, young, young guy, and again, he's he's a freshman. He's, he's, he was elected in in 2018, and and you know, to put to to keep. The uh, Crow Communications Office at Bay. <laughs> I'm not criticizing it. He did fine. I just yeah. didn't, you know, um, I didn't understand the logic of that. I will say this: Adam Schiff is really good at this. I mean, I I just you know kind of have to say that. Um, and and you could tell there were some points where the president's lawyers tried to kind of kind of pick that scab. That's sort of like logically, it's supposed to be like. Nadler, you know, Nadler, he's the, he's the chairman of the judiciary committee. So I guess you kind of like, you know, sucks to be you. Um, and they didn't play for that, but man, I, I just think Schiff is just like really good at this. Like when he was in the, the big, be, you know, the beginning, um, in the early afternoon when he was talking, I, I was listening to him like, wow, you're right. This is a pretty good case. <laughs> you know, I was, yeah. Not like I need a lot of convincing. Well, and but, I know. think Schiff has an ability that almost none of the rest that we've seen do because it's really hard, but he's able to react to things in the moment in a way that none of the rest of them are. And I mean, I don't blame them. Like reacting off the cuff is really hard. Yeah. There yeah. were those like deadpan yeah. responses to Nunes during the yeah. intel hearings. Like, I, I thank the gentleman for his comments. <laughs> right. was, you know, he's kind of like kind That's of That's where he established that. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he was just really good at kind of taking what the Republicans said and being, you know, giving like a couple lines of that's a conspiracy theory. Here's why. Back to the argument. Kind right. of, you know, just shooting it down, being very in charge. And it seemed like the rest of them, it wasn't always 100% clear, but they all seemed to be reading from yeah. speeches. Yeah. Which, again, I mean, a lot of pressure. You don't want to kind of, you know, just sort of wing it For up sure. there. So that makes sense. But it it did seem like a lot of shifts were either completely extemporaneous or significant departures from the prepared... Right. Um, you know, prepared remarks. I would imagine certainly that, I, I mean, I think the assumption by a lot of people is presumably Dianne Feinstein won't run um, for re-election again, yeah. which I, is still in four, I guess, 2024. And so, I mean, not not that everybody's just going to like let him kind of walk on in and take it, but he'll be pretty... Yeah, it seems like a logical Yeah, pretty choice. well, pretty well... Um, pretty well positioned for yeah. that. I mean, and it's also just, Schiff is a fascinating uh, character to me, just to cap it, in that The New Yorker did a, an extended profile on him and kind of talked about the beginning of his 
political career was pretty marred by failure. He wasn't really successful at the beginning. And he had some, I forget the details, but someone told him that he's too boring to be a federal politician. You know, he doesn't have the spark or the pizzazz and everything like that. And clearly he recalibrated, figured out a way to win. But I just think it's interesting that someone who was, you know, kind of shunted aside as too beige has now become the democratic face of you know, the fiery arguments, the well-articulated put-downs. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, because one thing, I mean, this is going to sound a little bizarre, but one, one, I saw someone respond, because, you know, Trump has this thing about, you know, kind of pencil neck or whatever. So weird. And, and, but Schiff, when he, I think, was first in Congress, was, was, you know, uh, was kind of overweight, right? And he, he trimmed down a lot. And I wonder how much it is, uh, I don't know, kind of repackaging himself, because because when he first showed up as as um, as the intelligence committee chair, he seemed like a little bland. Like, okay, he's just this guy, you know, mm-hmm. kind of random, kind of white guy from California. Um, but he, but yeah, he's he's quick on his feet, and he's just he's just good at it. I don't yeah, think, yeah, no getting around that. All right, well, let's leave that. Here for now, much more to come, obviously, on the impeachment so front. So much more. Before we um, uh, wrap things up, let's take a real quick break. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right. In the few minutes we have left, um, I want to talk about one more story that's making the rounds that honestly would be a holy shit huge deal if it weren't for impeachment kind of overshadowing everything. And in a way, this is connected to Trump, kind of, sort of. But, um, you know, Trump obviously takes the oxygen out of every room and news cycle he's in. And that story is uh, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, his uh, phone was allegedly hacked by the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. And if uh, listeners remember, was it back in October? Bezos had a kind of an explosive blog post. On Medium, yeah. On Medium. February. It was February, so almost a year yeah. ago. Yeah. Talking, you know, there were these kind of uh, sensitive pictures. He, he was having an affair. Uh, his marriage was kind of falling apart. Not a great time for him personally, but um, he wrote this story basically saying, it seems like my phone was hacked or these Mm -hmm. images were kind of taken. And fast forward to just last night, The Guardian first had this scoop that uh, Ben Solomon was behind the hack and that it was allegedly a WhatsApp conversation between the two. WhatsApp is this sort of, um, you know, text messaging service that you can use internationally, uh, owned by Facebook, supposed to have like 
pretty solid encryption. Yeah, I mean, that's why it comes up a lot in the impeachment story, because mm-hmm. all these people are using WhatsApp, right. because it's supposed to, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good example, though, of your heavily encrypted app is only as good as your trust in the person on the other side yeah, of the conversation. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. If, they, if, they, if they give their device to someone, <laughs> it's every, yeah. you know, everything is, uh, you know, and you're, so, you're toast. And so apparently uh, Bezos and Ben Solomon were kind of chatting it up a little bit. They met... Um, was it when Salman was on kind of a tour of the U.S.? I forget exactly. Something when. like that. And they were going to, you know, build a, like yeah, an Amazon, an Amazon data center and, and, in yeah. Saudi Arabia or something like that. Um, apparently sent Bezos a video file at, and Bezos must have opened it. I don't know. Just buds sending funny gifts to each other or who knows. <laughs> but um, apparently after that, a huge amount of data was kind of downloaded very swiftly well, from Bezos' One phone. thing that is striking here is that, you know, when we say that Mohammed bin Salman was behind the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi, we don't mean that he sought him up personally, but in this case, what they're saying at least is that it was actually bin Salman who, who like, fished uh, Jeff Bezos, right. like, sent a thing to him, which is stunning right i mean like like what like that's you know you don't you don't do the thing yourself it putin, <laughs> putin didn't like you know send an email to to, to, to <laughs> john to, podesta, john podesta. Yeah. um but it seems to have 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 uh seemed to have been the case now we don't we, we were just talking about this before we went on the air and just I, it's it's important to get the the precise details here what se- what seems to have happened why this is news now is that investigators for Jeff Bezos have obviously been working on this for a long time. They seem to have uh, produced a report and they shared that report with uh, UN officials, United Nations officials, who are working on the Jamal uh, Khashoggi thing. Those people looked at it. One of those guys, a guy named David Kay, who's like a law professor, law professor at UCI out in California, looked at it and and then released a statement basically saying, we've looked at this. It looks credible enough that this should be investigated. So it's not that the UN investigated this, which which the initial story sort of made it sound like UN report. It's them saying, look, this looks serious. We've looked at it. We're, we didn't do the investigation ourselves, but but this is serious. This needs a real independent investigation. Now, going back to, you know, the other thing here is it also involves a National Enquirer. You've got this weird axis of players, National Enquirer close to Trump. Uh, and the National Enquirer, the tabloid, published the photos of the Bezos affair, right? Right. And and at the time, so Bezos comes out and basically said the Saudis did this because the Washington Post and, and, and Khashoggi had this like contract to write for the Washington Post and, and Trump doesn't like all these kind of players together. But there was this alternate storyline, which I don't think we have known necessarily wasn't the case, that it was his girlfriend's. I don't know what the what is the appropriate way to speak. Or mistress, Miss, something well, mistress is like, weird. Yeah, mistress <laughs> is definitely outdated. Let's say girlfriend that her brother somehow got a hold of her phone and then sold and 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 so both of these aren't going to be true. So that was that a cover story? Um, I don't think we. I mean, still kind of like it, it's it's very strange and and. I am very interested in this beyond just this this particular news story is the Trump era is filled with 
extortion as a common theme that comes up again and again and again with, uh, you know, hacking, secret information, people controlled by other people knowing their secrets. You have it come up. I mean, A, we know about the whole the thing with, with Stormy Daniels, which is sort of the er case with, with Trump, at least that we know about, and, and Michael Cohen's involvement in that. We also have this weird thing still kind of hanging out there with uh, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife and their string of relationships with kind of, you know, hunky 20-something men and what that's about and the fact that there were pictures of her and Michael Cohen got involved to make sure no one saw the pictures and he endorsed Trump. <laughs> so you have this like pervasive thing that is clearly not just about Trump. This is something about the sort of the international oligarchy with the kind of the, the princes in, 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 um, in the Persian Gulf and Putin, because again, all of that, we, you know, there may not really have been a P tape, but the whole kind of another er Trump story is like, what's Putin got on Trump? Or, you know, vice versa. And so, obviously, if it's really true that the sort of the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, you know, sent Jeff Bezos a virus, you know, downloaded his pictures and then, you know, mailed it to the National Choir, that's a pretty big story. But it is, it is, if that is the case, it is another example of this thing that is, is to me the kind of the story of our, of our, of our times. Well, and also, you know, this particular story specifically, what was interesting to me about this report is that, you know, the malware seems to have been installed. He clicked on the infected video five months before the extortiony part started happening. Right. Which is, and you know, that's around the same time that, uh, but was it, but okay. But was that after Khashoggi died? Or? No. Okay. At the same, around the same time is when Khashoggi's phone was also hacked. And then, so it kind of also really implicates MSB in the, you know, the buildup to the murder, right, the planning, right, you know, right. to get his hooks in, you know, the owner of the Washington Post at the very least. Right. Before they planned on taking out one of the columnists. Right. And so right. it was only after the murder and as, you know, the Washington Post was really ratcheting up its coverage and looking to see how MBS was involved, that's when the cover story exposing the affair came out. And af a month after that is when Bezos uh, published the Medium article exposing the exchanges where the National Enquirer is using the photos as blackmail. Right, right, right. I mean, again, this is, I, I, I've, I've referred to it a few times on the site. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm working on. A, I'm trying to put together a book proposal about this, uh, and I don't know. Well, whatever. This is a big thing, you know. And again, we can talk about oh, National Enquirer, sleazy mm -hmm. operation. Always been a sleazy operation. Uh, Trump, sleaze bag. You know, kind of acts like a mobster. But it's not just Trump. It's it's a lot of things with Trump, but it's also it, it's this. Um, it's this pervasive thing that you see with countries that have sort of slid over into autocracy in, in countries where the political power is, is tied up with the, with the money, right. right? You can't go to like Ang, uh, Angela Merkel and, say, and, and her saying like, hey, you know, you do this thing on, uh, 
you know, troop levels in Afghanistan cut you in for the hotel. She didn't speak for any hotels or money or stuff like that. But that is how it works in the Gulf. And it's also now kind of how it works in Turkey, right? And you, money and these things that are happening under official stuff, right? So we don't really know, like, did that person, like, here, here's an example. And I know I'm kind of going into my own kind of rabbit hole here, but if you can follow me for a second. Um, we still have that case, what is it, six months ago, it seems like 30 years ago, where Trump gets on the phone with uh, uh, President Erdogan and suddenly says, you know, pulling out of Syria, okay, I'm going to tweet about it. <laughs> and, and obviously everybody was upset and there was a lot of uh, negative consequences for the Syrian Kurds there and everything. But you have there kind of like, why did that happen? Right. Why did that happen? And maybe it was just some impulsive weirdness from Trump. But you have all sorts of things in the Trump era where things are happening under the ocean that we are not seeing. And it happens enough that we start to realize like, okay, there are big decisions being made and there's clearly connections, threats, money that are happening, but all sorts of things that we're supposed to kind of know about in general, at least, why certain things happen. Why did why did uh, uh, Bush go to war in Iraq? A lot of people say it's a terrible decision. But broadly speaking, we kind of know certain people wanted to kind of kick Iraq's ass and stuff like this. But here, again, everything is below the surface. And that is kind of a big thing about our time and this just seems like maybe maybe this is going to turn out to be like the biggest the biggest example of it yeah all right well i want to hear more about this book proposal and me too and, and read more about that yeah um we'll be following all of all of this i yeah, guess yeah 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 well let me just uh, quickly remind everybody uh, go out and uh purchase uh, grady's cold brew iced coffee apparently now it's at all whole foods or or I don't know if it's only in in the Northeast or I think I think it's they, they're they're in Whole Foods uh, everywhere in the country right now. So you've got a Whole Foods uh, near you. Uh, go and buy like a million bottles of Grady's cold brew iced coffee. And if you're more an online buying kind of person, you can get 20 percent off your first order at Grady's with promo code TPM. All right. All right. And just one quick reminder for our listeners, uh, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Yes. It helps us out, helps uh, people discover the the show and, and keeps us keeping on. So we'd appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Thank Bye. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.